two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. We saw last week this is not their first occasion for meeting Jesus. He wasn't a total stranger walking up to him and saying, hey, follow me. And these guys were so unstable, they just dropped everything and followed him. They knew who he was. Uh, Andrew had been introduced to him by John the Baptist. You can read that part of the story in John chapter 1. Right now, let's watch a little introductory video. What difference did Christ make in the world? He brought healing, righteousness, and forgiveness. He taught others that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Yet not everyone accepted his message. His adversaries arrested him and killed him. They thought they had put an end to him. While his enemies gloated, his followers wondered why he had come. What difference had he made? They feared that his life and influence were over. But little did they know, it was just the beginning. The Apostle Paul spreads the good news of salvation through the resurrection of Christ. The Roman Emperor Constantine embraces Christ and halts the persecution of Christians. British missionary Patrick leads multitudes to Christ in Ireland, the place of his former enslavement. Italian poet Dante writes the divine comedy, the greatest work of Christian literature to emerge from the Middle Ages. German inventor Gutenberg produces the first printed Bible. German theologian Martin Luther leads the Protestant Reformation with a message of salvation by grace alone. Pilgrims seeking religious freedom signed the Mayflower Compact, establishing a model of governance that influences the U.S. Constitution. English preacher John Bunyan writes The Pilgrim's Progress, which becomes the second most popular book next to the Bible. British politician William Wilberforce's tireless efforts caused the British Parliament to abolish the slave trade. English Quaker Elizabeth Fry becomes the driving force in legislation to make the treatment of prisoners more humane. How can you measure the difference the life of Christ has made? These are but a few of his followers who, through him, have made a difference with their countless acts of kindness, compassion, and courage. Their willingness to embrace his call has brought the kingdom of God to a world in desperate need of grace and mercy. Baptist minister Billy Graham holds his first crusade in Los Angeles, launching his worldwide ministry. Mother Teresa starts her own order to care for India's poor and marginalized. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. espouses the teachings of Jesus in leading the American Civil Rights Movement to end segregation and inequality. Those who follow Jesus will experience a changed life and will have an impact on the earth for the good. Amen? Uh, following Jesus is unique for each of us, and yet it's common for each of us. For the disciples, it meant following him in his physical body as he ministered for three and a half years. But then when he left, following Jesus meant to establish his kingdom agencies, that is, local churches throughout the earth, and, and to help people to serve God in the marketplace, in their neighborhood, in their homes, in their families, relationships and marriages and churches, to continue the purposes of seeing people conform to his purpose and his character. And that's what following Jesus is about. So we're doing a little series on discipleship, learning lessons from Peter's experience. You may say, well, I'm not like Peter. Well, Peter was a real external guy, so it's easy to use him <laughs> to glean lessons on discipleship because things we would never say, he said. So he, he's an open-hearted guy, brought it out. So we're just going to stay in the book of Matthew and take a journey with Peter and glean some lessons from his journey as a disciple. 
He was born Simon, the son of Jonah, and Jesus named him Peter, which means rock. Looking at him, not for who he was, but for who he was going to be. He was going to be a solid man. So solid he was, the Catholic Church says he was the first pope. Peter, the rock. Our text today says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And so began the adventure of their lives. We saw last week that by Matthew 7, they had kind of gotten back into fishing. And... Um, the Lord blessed them with an incredible catch that broke their nets and almost sunk their boats. And they then became fully devoted followers of Jesus, won their hearts. So just to review the lessons we learned last week is that following Jesus can be awesome. See a lot of wonderful things. But following Jesus can also be difficult. Can I get an amen? And failing at following Jesus does not mean you cannot start over. There may be in this room someone who used to really desire to follow the Lord with all your heart and somehow through a difficulty you got off track and so you feel disqualified, but I've got good news for you. You're in good company. We've all failed and gotten back on track. You can start over because the Lord's callings never change. The call to follow me doesn't change because you failed at it. The call is still there. The invitation is still extended. It's there. It doesn't change. Let let me let you in on a little secret. Jesus Christ is God. And one of the characteristics we understand of God is he is all-knowing. So he knew we were going to go back to our stuff when we face difficulty. But he called us anyway. His gifts and callings he does not turn from. They're without repentance, the scriptures say. So it's time to put shame on our shame and to begin to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you get locked into shame, that is not conviction for sin. That is condemnation that immobilizes you and locks you into a has-been status. Shame on shame. (laughs) Amen. Let's say that together. Shame on shame. When we talk about discipleship, we're not talking about some cutesy form of Christianity, some form of religion where you can buy a kit and a map and follow it. No, it's a walk of faith. It's a journey where we follow the principles and guidance of the one who gave his life for us through the help of his Holy Spirit. So turn with me. Let's start our journey. Let's... Go to Matthew chapter 14. While you're turning there, I'd like to read something that C.S. Lewis said. He wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth, crown the tooth, or cap the tooth, but I want to pull the tooth. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you know are wicked, the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. That's the transformation of a disciple. Stanley Harwas from Duke University wrote this. It's hard to remember that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples, citizens of God's new age, a kingdom of surprise. And with that, I begin with this statement. It is for God's kingdom, this kingdom of surprises that we are called to be disciples of and are disciplined for the advancement of furthering his eternal purpose for our lives, personally and corporately. Have you found Matthew 14 yet? Read verses 25 through 33. Well-known story in the life of Peter. Now in the fourth watch of the night, about 10 o'clock at night, 
Jesus went to them walking on the sea. (laughs) When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now they're in stormy waters, and here comes this figure walking on the sea. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, for it is I, be not afraid. Verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Brave man, amen? But if you ever started out on something and once you got started, you thought, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) He was impulsive. So his impulsiveness got him out of the boat. It wasn't his faith because we'll see what the Lord says. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. He's choking on water. And immediately the Lord stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now this point... I'm deducing from the story that we read because it doesn't say anything else about Peter in this passage. You can read the rest of the chapter in terms of his getting wet experience. So he's in the boat. He's walked on the water, right? First man other than Jesus to walk on the water. He's in the boat. He's wet. He's cold. He's not getting any attention. Truly, you are the Son of God. All focus is on the Lord. Here's a lesson we learn from this as disciples. Following Jesus means everything is about him. The Lord may use you mightily or you may have some awesome experience. But you and I are never going to be the center of attention. It's all about Jesus. I uh, years ago was part of a church that did a lot of mission trips. A lot of mission trips. It's awesome. I hope that's our future. And out in the foyer, one Sunday, coming into church, worship had already begun. I was running late, or for some reason I was out in the foyer. And uh, she's sitting down, uh, this lady is sitting down uh, next to the wall, kind of pouting, and people are trying to comfort her. So I went up, what's the deal? Well, she was upset. She had been on a mission trip, and no one paid any attention to her. No one asked how the trip went. No one seemed to care. Well, she was a young believer. She hadn't learned this lesson yet. When people come to church, our primary purpose is the Lord. Amen? It's Him. And you may have had the most awesome experience, and people may need to hear about it, but I tell you, the Lord's going to be first and foremost. So you could be shivering, cold, on the bow of a boat, and not know that centuries later people are going to be reading about your experience. But at the moment, you're not getting any attention because the deity of Christ is revealed in this experience. There's actually a verse in the Old Testament that says God walks on the waters. So he was fulfilling a prophecy and all attention went on him. But for Peter, he just got wet. And he kind of got spanked, didn't he? No good job, just, man, why are you doubting? Turn to Matthew 15. Jesus is telling a parable, demonstrating that what is in our hearts is more important than washing our hands before we eat. The Pharisees had gotten into religious uh, rituals and made, they were majoring on minors and minoring on majors and ignoring the condition of their heart. And so Christ told a parable to demonstrate that fact. And Peter just didn't get it. Verse 15, he answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Now keep in mind, the other ones are kind of walking in pride. They're not going to say they don't know anything. So they're pretending. He's just being honest. Did Jesus explain the parable to them? Oh, you don't understand. Let me help you. No. He said, verse 16, are you still without understanding? Here's my next point. Following Jesus does not mean he will coddle us. 
does not mean he will pamper us. Oh, you poor little baby, let me change your diaper for you. No. He expects us. He's called us to follow him. He expects us to get in step and start learning. He expects growth from his... He's the, he's the, he's the rancher that expects prosperity in his ranch. Is that hard? No, it's good for us. So this challenged Peter to, to step up. If he had coddled him, Peter may have crumbled and never become the great man that he needed to be. Kind of reminds me of a football coach this town ran off because he was too hard on our kids. Never mind, I won't get into that. <laughs> Matthew 16. Now here Peter gets an attaboy. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Following Jesus means he expects us to be learning. And Peter had gotten it. He knew who Jesus was. But he still had to grow, all right? We see where he's been corrected by the Lord. And we see here where he's being commended by the Lord. And I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've been corrected and stung. And then when I get commended, I get kind of prideful like I've arrived. Well, I'm glad that correction season is over with. Now I'm, I've made it. Well, he had another lesson to learn. Look just the next few verses. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's moved beyond being corrected to being commended to being the corrector himself. Here he is going to correct the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was doing it. Notice he was doing it with, with great decorum. He was following protocol. Let's get Jesus away from the others. You know, Lord, you can't be talking like this. took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, apparently they heard Peter get rebuked. So Jesus didn't follow the protocol that Peter tried to follow. You know, he may have whispered it to him. Get behind me, Satan. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Next point, following Jesus includes receiving correction. When we're wrong, we're wrong. And the Lord will not most of the time, put sugar on our medicine. He'll tell it like it is because we need it like it is. Amen? These guys one day were going to be killed for following him. He could not establish in them a pattern of being coddled and pampered and babied and soft-soaked and tell them the truth. Jesus was not a modern day, never mind, leave the TV, TV preachers alone. All right. Following Jesus will often clash with our opinions. Matthew 17. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, verse 1, James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking 
with him. This is an incredible experience. The Lord allows these three men to see him transfigured, shining like the sun, and two of their greatest prophets appear with him, and they're talking with him. So Peter gets a bright idea. He comes out of the learning mode into the being creative mode. He's called to be a leader. After all, right, it's time to get something done here. Then Peter answered. Notice he, nobody's asking him any questions, but he answers. And said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He wants, to set, he wants to set up camp. A tabernacle is a tent. It's a brush arbor. Lord, let, let's, let's stay here. This is great. Let's let the rest of the world go to hell. Let's, let's do something here for this. Well, number one, he answers when no one's asking him for advice. Number two, this is an incredible experience. There must be something to learn. But he is getting way ahead of his calling. You ever done that? We've all done it. Following Jesus requires more listening than talking. I find myself many times in my life where I'm not listening. I'm just waiting for my turn to talk. Because I've got something good to say. There's a time to talk. There's a time to listen. I have two ears and one mouth look at verse 5 while he was still speaking Peter's talking he's not done there's more he was going to say you know we can put a tab maybe he was going to say we can put a tabernacle here and one over here he he was going somewhere with this thing and his idea got cut short by God the father in heaven While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly, a voice came out of the cloud saying, God himself interrupts him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Ouch. (laughs) The only one of the twelve to be honored by interrupting by an audible voice from heaven. Shut up and listen. Here's here's a big lesson for us. Jesus is God. We are not. Following Jesus can often include listening to what we don't want to hear. You ever want to go sometimes, la, 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 la. Let's turn to Matthew 26. I see the Lord's uh, the Lord's modus operandi is kind of similar to the, what I understand boot camp is, where you break a recruit down, humble him, and then you begin to build him. And so, while the Lord is teaching them great lessons, we all learn awesome things from the teachings of Christ. At the same time, He's humbling His disciples. So that he can begin to make something out of them. A friend of mine was in boot camp. He was tired of doing menial tasks. And when they asked, does anyone here know how to drive a truck? He was the first one to raise his hand. And they gave him a wheelbarrow. Matthew twenty six thirty one. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. This is the night he was going to be betrayed. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, 
I will go before you to Galilee. Remember that phrase. He's setting up an appointment with them. Guys, you all are fixing to be scattered. But after I'm risen, I want you to come to Galilee. We've got a meeting planned. Peter, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Or you don't understand, I'm the man. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, not on a farm, but I grew up thinking roosters crowed when the sun rose. They probably do. But that implies that they wait until the sun rises. Roosters can crow all night long. When we went to Africa the first time, we lived on a mission in the interior, and chickens and roosters would roost in the trees. And uh, when the rooster got tired of roosting, he would come down and crow at all the chickens in the trees until they got down. He'd crow them down, and then he'd crow them back up. He just was bossy, bossing everybody around. So, Peter, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it till the morning before you've denied me three times, is basically what the Lord is telling him. Peter disagrees with him, verse 35. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. They all were highly offended that the Lord would say they're going to bail on him. I mean, how offensive can it be? We've left everything. You know, Matthew left his lucrative tax-collecting business. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew left their fishing business. They left all kinds of things to follow him, follow him around for three and a half years. Now he tells them they're going to abandon him. How offensive is this? But they were fixing to experience something. They had no idea how tough it can be. Who knows that we many times do not know how tough life can be. Don't have a clue. So said all the disciples. We will not deny you even if we have to die. We're willing to die for you. Verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go, go and pray over there. He's not asking them to pray. He's going to pray. He's just asking them to sit. He took with him Peter and two sons, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. In other words, I, I need to know I'm not alone, guys. This is the humanity of Christ talking. He went a little farther and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he's wrestling between his human will and the divine will. Lord, if there's another way, let's do that. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, he singles him out. They're all asleep. And he singles him out and says, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now, this verse has been used to, to push the concept that we need to pray for one hour. I'm not throwing stones at that. The Lord wasn't asking. He's just saying, can't you guys stay awake for an hour while I'm struggling, facing the biggest trial of my life. You say you're not going to deny me. You're going to die for me. You can't even stay awake for me. <laughs> That's got to have been discouraging. Next lesson. Following Jesus will stretch us beyond our abilities. They were tired, man. The Lord wore them out. They did not have the passion for the mission that he had. This thing had been planned for centuries. They, you know, they were walking in the understanding that they knew, and they were just wore out. And Jesus will take us to an end of our strength. Make you want to quit. 
So they did. Look at verse 42. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup, this thing I have to drink, this experience I have to walk through, cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Now, if he prayed for an hour, how come we only get one phrase? Because that's all they remember hearing because they fell asleep. So he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came with the chief priests and elders of the people. And Judas kissed him and betrayed him. Following Jesus will expose the reality of our weakness. We're not as strong as we think we are. Excuse me. All right, let's look at verse 51. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, this story is recorded in Mark 14, 47, Luke 22, 49 through 51, and John 18, 10. Luke 22 says that this, this disciple who did this was Peter. I don't think he was aiming to take an ear off. You're going to take my Jesus? You're going to lose an ear for that. No, he was aiming for his head. He was going for the kill. And Luke 22 says the Lord healed the guy's ear. His name was Malchus, servant of the high priest. Performed a miracle just as he's about to be killed. This is awesome. It was his last miracle before the resurrection. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions, that's thousands, of angels. One angel can kill thousands of men. So Lord going through this wasn't because he didn't have protection. It was because it was the will of the Father. Next lesson. Following Jesus will prove the futility of our strength. The task he has called us to, saints, is so big, it's impossible. No one can even live the Christian life except Jesus. That's why our will must come to an end of itself so that His will reigns supreme. And where His will reigns supreme, His Spirit gives the power. The video we started with, those heroes of the faith, names we saw flashing across the screen, were very imperfect people. You may know some of the scandals associated with their names, but they did great things because at some point in their life they came to an end of their will and God's will reigned supreme and the Spirit empowered them to do the impossible. That's what being disciples is all about. Look at verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, this is, this is a crowd that came to arrest him. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then, excuse me, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They didn't last. They all left him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. 
he at least wanted to watch. If he couldn't be loyal, he at least wanted to watch. Following Jesus will test our loyalty to him. Will you stay true to him? It is amazing some of the Christian celebrities who have abandoned the faith and are pursuing another Jesus for the sake of political correctness, economic expediency, and their own prosperity. There's the poverty test, there's a prosperity test, there's a popularity test, and there's this kind of test. Well, we remain loyal to the Lord. Or we, we abandon His purpose for our life. Good news is, you can return. Because all these guys eventually returned and were restored. They all kept the appointment that he set for them in Galilee. Amen? All right, let's wrap it up here. 26 verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. He was going to at least commit to the end. He's not going to deny him, right? But he's not invisible. And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, No, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, all right, so he got away from that scenario, another girl saw him. I tell you, little girls are just something else, aren't they? And said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath. So he's moved beyond denial. Now he's making an oath, a vow. I do not know the man. And a little later... Those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. They must have heard him talk before. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Following Jesus will bring us to an end of ourselves. It will. Life the way we want it is over. It's the way he wants it. He is able to give you an idea and then change his mind. If he is Lord, he has the right to do that. Amen? Before we were called to come and serve Granberry as pastor, I administered at a wonderful little congregation in Miami, Florida. It was awesome. Just thoroughly loved it. Loved Miami. Still love Miami. And um, a few months following, I'm with my son at a men and boys retreat in Glen Rose. And there, in the middle of the night, I'm awakened, and these thoughts are rushing through my mind. Pastor Bill Gozlowski is leaving Miami, and you're going to replace him. Well, I had attempted to start a church years earlier and never wanted to do that again, so I said no to that idea. I could not go, to, go back to sleep. It just kept happening, kept happening. And it sounded too good to be true anyway. And, and finally I said, okay, Lord, if this is you, I accept. And peace came and I fell asleep. Well, the next day was Saturday. We returned home so we could be with our family Saturday night. And I had to go to work Saturday night. Well, prior to going to work, my wife said, Pastor Bill Gozlowski called and wants you to call him. So I got excited, but I had to wait till the next Sunday afternoon, the next day, before I could talk to Bill. I call him. Bill says, I'm out of here. Do you want to come take my place? I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, I do. But I remembered a principle that in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. I said, 
I'd love to, but I would need to know for sure that it's God. Let me talk to my spiritual leaders. Those who I've been called to walk alongside of. Those who were discipling me. And so, I went to them Monday and laid it out before them. They said, well, we'll pray. A couple days later, I'm having to wait for three or four days here. They called me back. They said, this is God if it happens exactly like he told you to. Oh, that's great. So I called Bill. I said, okay, man, I've heard from the Lord. It it has to happen exactly the way the Lord told me to. He says, good, because there's been a change. He says, I need to take a six-month sabbatical. So can you come for six months and take my place while I'm gone, and then I'll come back? I says, no, I won't. Well, didn't you say you thought you were supposed to do this? Yeah. Well, why won't you do it? Well, I don't know how to say this to you other than what I felt the Lord say is if I do this, it has to be permanently. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. Can I just speak French here today? I was pissed off. <laughs> at God, at life, at everything. Stowe steam. Because I had gotten so excited. Yes! Having experienced a failure of a church that never made it and we just closed it down. It was not a moral failure. It was just a church that he didn't tell me to start. I attempted to do it in my own strength and it didn't work. To getting excited about finally, I hear the voice of God, something's going to happen and now there's this change. So I was ticked off at God and one day I had it out with him. I just said, God, why didn't you let me sleep? Why didn't you let me sleep? I was fine and all this happened. What was all this about? Well, he was bringing to the surface some stuff that was still inside me. Fleshly motivation. Self-will. The Alan Latta Ministries syndrome. Peace finally came when I finally got down to the bottom, the end of myself. And I drew in my journal a picture of a gravestone and wrote, Here lies life the way Alan Latta wants it. It's all over. Peace came. If Jesus Christ is going to be my Lord, He can tell me one thing today and change His mind tomorrow if He wants to. I'm not the Lord. I'm not in charge. He's in charge. He works at the big scenario. He set things up so that Bill could have a replacement and then chose to... Keep Bill there. So healed was my heart. So healed was my heart that after becoming pastor here, Bill flew me in one weekend to pastor there while he was gone. And I served, did my best, came back home. Not a flicker of problems in my emotions or my heart. The day comes when he wants us to be an in, uh, to come to an end of ourselves. So that he can be all in all. What that means to you, I'm not sure. But the day will come, if it hasn't already, where your will must submit to his will totally. This is a board game that Parker Brothers put out in the 50s for church families. It was called Going to Jerusalem. The playing piece, unlike Monopoly, was not a top hat or a Scotty dog or a cannon or a car. Monopoly was worldly. This was a Christian game. In going to Jerusalem, you got to be a disciple. Your game piece was a little plastic man with a robe, a beard, sandals, and a staff. Everybody had a little plastic man who played this game. In order to move across the board, you rolled a dice and you looked up answers to questions in the little black New Testament provided with the game. The game always started in Bethlehem, and the object of the game was to make it to the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. So it made stops in places like the Mount of Olives, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Caesarea, the stormy sea, Nazareth, and Bethany. But the game did not go all the way to Gethsemane, the courtyard, the whipping post, the cross, or the tomb. This game had no angry demons or angry Pharisees. 
You only made your way through the nice stories of Jesus, tiptoeing through the Gospels. It was a safe adventure, perfectly suited for the safe Christian family on a Sunday afternoon who wanted to learn about Jesus. Lee Eklov writes of this game that he played as a child. He said, it never occurred to me while leaning over the card table, jiggling the dice in my hand, that traveling, traveling with Jesus wasn't meant for plastic disciples who look up verses in a little black Bible. If you're going to walk with Jesus as his disciple in this world, you may need to change your expectations. After all, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Watch this. In our reading, we were left with Peter weeping bitterly and the Lord facing crucifixion. He crucified, but on the third day, he arose. And the women were the first ones to find out that he had risen. And the angel told them to go tell the disciples that the Lord will meet them in Galilee, reminding them of their appointment Mark says that the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I will meet them in Galilee. The Lord had an angel send a specific word of encouragement to Peter. He named him specifically. And as the women were going to tell the disciples, they then see Jesus who told them to rejoice and he said, don't be afraid. Go tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In fact, he didn't say, go tell my disciples. He said, go tell my brethren. Go tell my brethren. The walk that we've been called to walk is so similar to the walk that Christ walked that he calls us his brothers. And we all have a cross to bear that crosses with our will. His will is His will for your life that's unique to everyone else. There's some commonality to it. Devotion to Jesus is very similar for all of us. But the calling that He has on your life may be unique. And part of your cross may be the question, why am I the only one? Well, you're really not the only one. You just have a unique calling to walk in. Can we stand? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we want to follow you today. This is not just a theme for a service, but Lord, it's a theme for our lives. That as we leave this place today, Lord, may we leave in light of the fact that our lives are not our own, that you are in charge, and that as we stumble along, we will make mistakes, but we know that you, you restore because you said you would make us fishers of men, and you are the great fisherman yourself. And so, Lord, we draw comfort from the fact that just as you, just as you restored Peter, so you're going to restore us in the areas where we need it. So, Father, I pray especially for those who have stumbled hard, fallen hard, that they would get back up and say, okay, Lord, I surrender. I come to an end of myself. I'm going to pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. This isn't exactly Christianity 101, but it's not 501 either. Pretty basic stuff. I guess we could call this Christianity 201. The Lord offends our minds to reveal our hearts. And he reveals our hearts so we can see the areas of our life that are not submitted to his will. I challenge you today to make time every day to pray and read the scriptures. And when you come across a verse that really speaks to your heart, stop and write that down on a card and put it somewhere where you'll see it on your dashboard, not over your speedometer, on your mirror. And let the words of Christ have an impact on your life and do what you know you're called to do. And when there's something else he's calling you to do, do that. But already you know some things to do. Walk in what you know. And one of the things is to assemble regularly with other followers of Christ so that we can encourage one another. Amen. So we're going to end the service in this format, but yet it continues. Look around. Be friendly. Greet people. Welcome them to the house of the Lord. Ask if you can pray with them about anything. And pray. Encourage one another. In Jesus' name. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. We'll see you tonight. God bless you. Fall through my